You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The brother of a woman found shot to death in Coquitlam last week says she lived in fear for the past several months. He says the woman's estranged husband stalked and threatened her after she discovered his other identity and sordid history as a romance scammer. Catherine Urquhart has exclusive details. There's a car, doors open, there's, there's glass everywhere, there's groceries splayed out. She's laying there and there's first responders. It's just an absolute state of chaos. Tyson Forrester recalls the devastating moments after his sister, Stephanie Forrester, was shot to death one week ago. She had just returned to her new basement suite in Coquitlam after grocery shopping. Then there's a paramedic and he starts covering her up with a yellow first responders blanket. The award-winning social and tech entrepreneur was a well-known humanitarian. Locally, she helped take portraits of kids at BC Children's Hospital and of people on the downtown east side. The value of a photograph. Stephanie's murder followed months of harassment by her estranged husband, Gianluigi De Rossi, a man she married less than a year ago. Her brother says she had been married only a few months when she found a passport with his former name, Reza Moenian. She continues to search the place. She found hidden in his closet, he had well over 10 cell phones that were all active. After discovering his previous name, she soon realized he was a well-known romance fraudster. We reported on him in 2018 when a woman said he had stolen more than $100,000 from her, forcing her into bankruptcy. And he started threatening me. You're harassing me. Don't call me again. Stephanie Forrester phoned police and Rossi was taken into custody. In August, he was released and, according to her brother, was likely tracking her. She said, Ty, actually, before we got married, I found an Apple AirTag in my G-Wagon. In one of my bags. Forrester said his sister lived in constant fear and questioned why police couldn't do more to protect her. She said, I'm fed up. I go to work and I do my job. Why can't they do their job? Why can't they catch this man? Two days after Stephanie was murdered, police in Surrey pulled over De Rossi's car. Moments later, he shot himself and died in hospital. Police confirm the files are linked. Yeah, we're familiar with Mr. De Rossi and uh, familiar with her, her background with him. He was someone we were hoping to speak to. And unfortunately, we will not have that opportunity. Tyson Forrester says he wants his sister remembered for who she was, an amazing human being. She was just a very, very spontaneous, bubbly, light of life human being. That once you got to know her, you just couldn't not love her. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. We have some breaking news for you now. The case of a missing man in Surrey has now become a homicide investigation. 24-year-old Christopher Prevost was first reported missing back on December 3rd. He was last seen November 19th in the 6400 block of 128th Street in Surrey. RCMP now say criminality is believed to have been a factor in his disappearance, so IHID has been called in to assist with the investigation. An emotional day in a Vancouver court for the daughters of a murder victim listening to the sentence for one of two men who brutally killed their father. James Lee Bush was handed a mandatory life sentence with no parole eligibility for 25 years after he and another man killed Martin Payne in Machosan three years ago. Aaron MacArthur has the story. After an outburst in the courtroom, 
When he heard the guilty verdict Wednesday, James Lee Bush hobbled into courtroom 65, shackled at the ankles. The convicted killer smirking at the Payne family as he sat in the prisoner's box. Four victim impact statements were read into the record. Both Martin Payne's daughters and his ex-wife holding back tears as they spoke about their loss and the fact that the loss can't be summarized in only one day. Calla Payne writing, Instead, ask me in a few years when I have to walk myself down the aisle or ask me in 10 years when I have to explain to my future children why they don't have a grandfather. When you experience a situation like this, it doesn't just affect you and your family or loved ones. It, it affects everyone in your extended circle, including future generations. The evidence against Bush was largely circumstantial, but compelling. The jury was given reams of DNA evidence, testimony from experts on blood spatter and fingerprints, as well as gruesome crime scene photos to consider. In the end, the jury took slightly more than one day to come back with a guilty verdict. They, they did their duty and uh, came through with a verdict that I'm sure they're confident was just and appropriate. Throughout the trial, the Payne family sat in the courtroom and solemnly took in all the same evidence. At trial, many of the questions they had surrounding the 2019 murder were answered. What no one could tell them throughout the whole ordeal was why. Understanding some more of the details has been helpful for me um, and being together through the process and, and facing it together. Um, so I think it's, we'll see, we'll see what happens now. Bush declining to say anything in open court, simply muttering under his breath after he was sentenced, I guess the party's over then, before being surrounded by sheriffs and hobbling towards a life sentence. Zachary Armitage, the co-accused in this case, pleaded guilty to first-degree murder halfway through. He will be sentenced next Tuesday. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. A veteran mediator has been called in to help reach a deal between the ambulance paramedics of B.C. and their employer. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, Vince Reddy has a lot of experience. So what do you think we should read into the fact that he's been called into this? I think there is a reason for optimism here. Vince Reddy gets it done. He is BC's premier mediator. He's been associated with all sorts of uh, settlements in the past. He famously mediated the end of a BC teacher strike. Uh, and the, his list of accomplishments is quite long. He's known as the miracle worker when it comes to labor negotiations. And he's actually been involved in previous sets of negotiations between the paramedics union and the employer. And he's had success at that table. So there's reason for optimism here, folks. No one wants to see a strike or lockout or anything involved ambulance paramedics uh, but again today the union signaling their serious unresolved issues at the table and are talking potentially seeking job action mandate from their members hopefully it doesn't get to that we caught up with Troy Clifford of the paramedics union and health minister Adrian Dix who admits there are significant issues still unresolved at the table if we don't get some significant progress in the near future, we're going to have to look at escalating to uh, whether we go to the membership for a mandate for job action or that. And we don't want to get there. We really are hoping that our message to the government right now, now with the surplus and the opportunity to fix the ambulance service, now is the time. They have significant issues at the table and we have joint work to get to, to do together that we're doing regularly. And so, uh, um, you know, the ambulance service... Um, was facing a fundamental crisis when I became Minister of Health. We worked with the union up to now to respond to that, to move it from a part-time casual service to the full-time uh, full and the permanent service people need. And uh, this discussion is part of it.
So Vinzredi has set aside the next two days to meet with both sides. Also important to note, he wasn't appointed by the Labour Minister or by the Labour Board. This was uh, being brought in at the request of both parties. Another encouraging sign. Again, a guy who's got the deal done in the past. Uh, every reason to think he's going to get it done this time as well. Like you said, reason for optimism here. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, the personal health information of British Columbians is at risk, according to a new report released by British Columbia's Privacy Watchdog. In the report, Michael McAvoy states sensitive personal health records from mental health to sexually transmitted disease histories are disturbingly vulnerable to leaks. McAvoy blames security gaps in the public health computer system. He says those gaps put your information at risk of abuse by bad actors like cyber criminals or jilted lovers looking for information about an ex. McAvoy says a proactive audit program that alerts authorities if someone tries to access private data is essential. He also recommends the province use greater enhanced security measures like multi-factor authentication. People living in rural B.C. carry a heavier financial burden to get the health care they need. A new report out of UBC has crunched the numbers and travel and accommodation costs are significant, often for people who can least afford it. As Richard Zussman reports, it has renewed calls for the province to help. For those living in more rural and remote parts of this province, getting to a medical appointment can be expensive. The Center for Rural Health Research speaking to 381 specialist patients getting care away from home. The average overall transport cost out of pocket around $856 per patient on top of $674 for accommodations. There's, you know, incurring lost wages from missing work or childcare, and unsupported travel becomes exponentially more difficult when there's a need for continued episodic care, for example, if you're receiving cancer treatment. Clearwater Mayor Merlin Blackwell knows all this firsthand. Living in Williams Lake in his 20s, he was diagnosed with cancer, and radiation treatments were in Vancouver. Living literally below the dryer in my mom's laundry room because there was no absolutely no way that I could afford uh, the hotel motel coverage um, that I would need. Now as mayor, he sees the challenges residents in his community face. But it's, it's not easy and, and it really needs to be easy. We need to take the doubt out of whether you should go for treatment or not. For rural patients, it should be automatic. Health Minister Adrian Dick says the province has invested substantially in air ambulance support for rural communities, as well as a bus service, but acknowledges there needs to be more in terms of financial support for out-of-pocket costs. The other thing we're going to have to look at are our travel assistance programs, and we have them, and we have expanded them somewhat, but it is um, a continuing challenge in healthcare, I think, and, and to use virtual care more effectively. One of the possible solutions, virtual care for diagnosis. But that won't solve the problem of the most vulnerable skipping treatments, overpaying out of pocket for travel, a long-term cost to the system, much bigger than an unpaid credit card bill. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. New tech is causing big trouble for search and rescue crews. The features in the new Apple Watch 8 and iPhone 14 can show you're in trouble when you really aren't. The Simple Fix, next on the News Hour. Since I was four, I've wanted to play in a World Cup. Now I get to paint in one. BC's athlete artist, Carling Jackson, invited to Qatar to paint some of the World Cup's most iconic moments. 
Her story later on the News Hour. Also tonight, why an Nanaimo woman has crocheted more than 10,000 toques. Right now, though, it is touted as a feature that could save lives. But new technology in some Apple products is sending local rescue groups on missions they don't need to be on. Software on newer Apple Watches and iPhones has alerted emergency crews to people in distress, when in reality, there was no one to rescue. As Julie Nolan reports, people are being encouraged to download a new update to keep precious resources available. Outdoor enthusiasts have come to rely on search and rescue operations if they get into trouble. But what happens if your newer iPhone or watch sends out a distress signal? Technology is a great thing, uh, but people need to be aware of that it can generate some false alarms. That's because a new feature on the iPhone 14 and the Apple Watch Series 8 has a new crash detection feature along with satellite SOS detection. Doing activities that are high impact, things like that, skiing, snowmobiling, things of that nature, like it can trigger false alarms and you might not hear it. It's already resulted in a few instances where search and rescue crews were sent looking for someone for several hours, definitely not in trouble in BC. The technology is so sensitive, sending a signal even for a minor fall. So three times it's resulted in a, a search um, to find these puzzled people going, I'm not even sure why you're here. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate. Not only does it put resources where they're not needed, but can also put crews in danger. The less it makes everybody's ability to respond to, to real events. However, technology can be a good thing. Apple's emergency SOS helped to save two people stranded in California when their vehicle went over the side of a mountain this week. On during workouts. So to save crews the worry of a hiker being in trouble, the advice is to watch for the crash detection warning and turn them off within a minute if you're doing a low-impact, low-risk activity. We call it a trip plan. Have you, have you left any information behind with people you trust? Apple has now released an update to fix the issue and users are encouraged to download it. Julie Nolan, Global News. Just ahead, frozen seniors. We have 20 people in here. Some are 93 years old with chronic health problems. Residents battling the landlord for months to get their broken boiler fixed. And sending yeast into space. Why, it's not a half-baked idea. Crews on scene to a crash here in Surrey affecting northbound traffic on Scott Road between Old Yale Road and Tannery. You're down to just a single lane. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. Residents at an Armstrong housing facility say they've had inadequate heat for two years and they can't take it anymore. Management provided space heaters when the boiler went out, but as Megan Turcato reports, tenants are concerned about the hit to their bottom lines with the deep freeze set to arrive next week. It's, uh, it's no joy staying in a cold place. William Luxmore feels immediate action is needed to address heating in the Armstrong subsidized housing building where he lives. We need emergency repairs. We have 20 people in here. Some are 93 years old with chronic health problems. And we cannot see them go through a winter with no heat. 
The building's aging boilers date back to the 1970s and are failing. The president of the Sunset Housing Society, which runs the facility, agreed to do an interview on the condition she not be filmed. She said a contractor is set to replace the boiler system in January thanks to financial support from BC Housing. I am really hoping they're here on January the 2nd. <laughs> I understand why they don't want to start just before Christmas because once they start, they can't stop. The management says the boilers are still providing some heat. Residents have been given space heaters to carry them over till the boilers can be replaced. Heating is included in rent, so residents are concerned about having to pay extra on their electricity bill to run the space heaters. We've got inflation, we've got uh, food prices gone skyrocketing, gas prices. Now a lot of these people have to pay for heat. We don't know what that cost will incur. BC Housing has confirmed that they will take last year's bill from people and they will uh, review this year's bill and that they will consider some form of compensation. Both residents and management agree the heating system has been a problem since at least last winter. I don't understand why it's taken so long. Two years ago I heard they were going to be doing the boiler. Do it spring, summer, fall? Great. Why winter? But the society denies dragging its feet on the boiler repairs. I have multiple emails and multiple conversations that that is the way BC housing works. It has to be emergent situation um, to rise to the top of the list of funding. We just keep asking. All involved now hoping Armstrong doesn't experience any extreme temperature dips before new boilers are in place. Megan Turcato, Global News, Armstrong. Well, the Animal Food Bank in Kelowna is seeing an unprecedented number of requests for help this year. Volunteers say their requests have increased by 50% compared to last year. So far in 2022, they've had more than 1,000 asks, including 38 just two days ago and 16 just this morning. That adds up to 40,000 meals for cats and 34,000 meal, meals for dogs this year. We recently did a little poll um, and 65% of our clients um, answered that they would have had to surrender their pet if we hadn't been here, as well as they have told us that they wouldn't, would have had to choose between feeding themselves and feeding their pets. And we don't want anyone to make that choice. So we're here to feed pets. To continue their work, the Animal Food Bank is seeking more donations as well as more storage space in the Kelowna area. For more information, you can visit the Animal Food Bank's website. A key ingredient for bread and beer rises to new heights. This is the first set of yeast that went to the moon. What you and yeast have in common and how it could help humans survive in space. Also tonight, infection fighters at UBC identify a compound that could one day stop COVID and many other infections in their tracks. Good evening and good news. Just recently cleared a two-car crash northbound just past the north end of the Alex Fraser Bridge. This is what the leftover volume looks like. It's backed right over the bridge onto the Delta side. Contact Integra Tire today for great deals on GT radial tires like the Adventuro AT3. Perfect for light truck and SUV owners. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge.
Iranian Canadians are increasing their call for leaders in Ottawa to take a stand on behalf of thousands imprisoned in Iran for protesting against the regime. Two people have already been executed in a brutal crackdown by the Islamic Republic. Others await their fate on death row. Negar Mojtahedi has the story. Who should I mourn for more? These are the many Iranian protesters on death row. Among them, teenage boy Arin Farzam Nia, an Iranian soccer star Amir Nas Azadani, and radiologist Dr. Hamid Ghada Hassan Lu. These are not just numbers, these are human beings. Vancouver resident Golnaz Fakhari is overcome with grief. When the first executions happened, it was as if someone just took out something underneath me. I, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't think, I was paralyzed. The execution of Iranian protesters without any legal representation, evidence or chosen legal counsel is tearing her apart. But she's transforming her pain into action, pleading with Canadian MPs to become political sponsors of Iranian political prisoners, most of whom are in danger of imminent execution on bogus charges. The MP uh, will take responsibility for one or two prisoners. Um, they raise awareness about them, they keep track uh, on the news about them, they urge their own governments to fight for their release. MP Hetty Fry says she's considering and believes this is something Canadian MPs can do. We, we are feeling the deep connection to the Iranian community. The idea of political sponsorship started with members of parliament in Germany. Yvonne Ri leading the cause with her sponsorship of rapper Tumaj Salehi. We are watching very closely what they are doing. We can change stuff, so we can like use our mandate to, to do something and change the life of those people, so we should do it. An MP in Frankfurt just sponsored Dr. Ghada Hassanlu and his wife Farzaneh. Welcome news to Iranian-Canadian Dr. Mushtaba Yekrang Safakar, who has been friends with Dr. Ghada Hassanlu for 30 years. He, you know, presented before judge with broken ribs. He was healthy when he was arrested. What you don't see in the court is justice. That drive for justice is what motivates Golnaz. When you're dealing with a regime like the Islamic Republic that doesn't play by any international rules, um, when you find a firm ground to make them accountable, you have to take it. Negar Moshahedi, Global News. Well, yeast is probably best known for its role making bread and beer, but we share a surprising number of genes with this microscopic fungus. Surprising as that is, Paul Johnson brings us the story of yeast research at UBC that could help shape the future of human space travel. Cosmic radiation is a problem, it's a challenge to anything that's alive. It's not a stretch to say that Corey Nislow and his team at UBC are working on something essential if human civilization is ever going to spread beyond planet Earth. Our DNA will get damaged, we know that. And liftoff of Artemis 1. A few weeks ago, Nislow's experiment launched in the Orion capsule, an uncrewed moonshot that's a test for NASA's Artemis program, which will see humans not only return to the moon, but live there. But extended living beyond Earth's protective magnetic field may not be possible unless they figure out the radiation problem. So nestled in that capsule was a colony of common brewer's yeast that Nislo set up to grow in space. By learning how cosmic radiation on these trips to the moon and beyond 
affect yeast genes, we can uh, very rapidly extrapolate that information to human genes. Splashdown. And when the most ambitious project of your career hinges on a safe return from a trip around the moon, that's some real pressure. I can't say that it wasn't nerve-wracking. Nislo's flying to Florida next week to retrieve the yeast and start the analysis. Knowledge that may benefit humanity in profound ways, and maybe some simple ones, too. Will we be able to use some of this yeast to make beer? Well, I don't see why not. At UBC, Paul Johnson, Global News. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and yet more research at UBC, which has discovered a compound that could stop infections from a variety of viruses, including COVID-19 and the common cold. The science started well before the pandemic. As Amadagahi reports, it has experts thinking about the long-term applications. This is Delta strain with the inhibitor here. And this is the Omicron strain. They may only look like purple Petri dishes to you and I, but the results inside are groundbreaking. It was exciting for us. And may one day change the way we treat anything from as serious as COVID-19 right down to the common cold. We apply the, the, the dye. We're looking at an early candidate for a powerful antiviral medication and the outcome of a study by scientists at UBC. Most likely it will be an oral uh, appeal that you will get. Traditional antiviral medication targets the virus itself. But what makes this compound unique is that when taken, it will ignore the virus and head right for the cells in our body, essentially training them to resist infection. If you see the purple color, that means it's uninfected. In a way, you can look at it in a, as, a, as to enhance the body capability to overcome viral infection. It worked very well with all the variants that we have tested so far. Right now, they're only calling it a type of GSK inhibitor, and it will have a long way to go before it has a more common name and it's put on store shelves. But once there, it will not only reduce a person's symptoms, but also make them less contagious. We believe that it will be able to target many uh, uh, coronaviruses in even future strains and variants of coronaviruses, for sure, because they rely on the same mechanism. Post-directed therapy, it's a new era of drug development. And although the effectiveness is encouraging, it would be premature to say these findings here could go as far as preventing a future pandemic. What it's more likely going to be is one way to make future waves of the virus less disruptive. Imadagahi, Global News. Well, for the first time, we're getting a look inside what is set to be the new St. Paul's Hospital and Health Campus. The mocked-up rooms of the new hospital give a life-size idea of what exactly the spaces will look like with walls and equipment. Fourteen new operating rooms are being built, and those rooms will be 30% larger than the ones in the current hospital. When it opens in 2027, there will also be big changes to the emergency department, with patients skipping the waiting room and going straight to a room. The plan is that when the patients present to triage, instead of having them have to talk to registration and then the triage nurse, in the future, they'll talk to both at the same time. Other changes include private and safer mental health patient rooms. Instead of one big nursery in the neonatal intensive care unit, mothers will be able to stay with their babies in private rooms.
Going to be pretty cool when that's built. Also, uh, coming up tonight, a thrilling invitation to the World Cup. I went into shock and then started to like jump up and down. The BC artist now in Qatar painting the tournament's most memorable moments. And bitter winter weather out east that could be a preview of what to expect here. A wild winter storm from the U.S. is targeting three Canadian provinces tonight. Weather advisories are in effect for much of southern Ontario, including the greater Toronto area. Freezing rain made roads slick today, leading to a number of collisions and pileups. And now that the rain has turned to snow, it's causing major headaches for commuters heading home. Southern areas of Quebec have been under snowfall warnings and special weather statements as well. And southern Manitoba could see up to 30 centimeters by this weekend. All right. Well, hopefully that is not what we'll see by our weekend. Mm -hmm. Christy Gordon joins us now. I know we're going to see something, though, Christy. Yeah, well, you know, it only takes about this much to cause problems on our roads. I hate to say it. And we do have that potential this weekend. So we'll get into those details. I just want to have a look at this major system. Not only is it impacting tonight three provinces, but it'll also shift into the maritime. So it really will impact almost half of the country, really, because it also impacted a little bit into Saskatchewan as well. We've been very lucky. We've had this ridge of high pressure just sitting off the coast here. That's been keeping us dry. We've got one more dry day on the way, but we've got this pulse of cold air. That's going to bring in this upper level trough that will bring in moisture. So Saturday is a bit of a transition day. It'll be a wet mix of snow and rain. Uh, we'll warm up to highs of about two degrees, but Sunday temperatures are going to drop enough that we are expecting snow, everyone. And then it looks like we may see milder conditions pu push in by Wednesday. So it will be a brief period of cold for southern regions. So this is look at the snow for Saturday. So you can see zero centimeters, for example, in Metro Vancouver. Now there's a chance that higher elevations could see it. This is at lower elevations, but wetter conditions expected there. We'll have more details on that tomorrow, so tune back in. It just gives you an idea, whereas more so Sunday is when we're expecting widespread snow across our region as the temperatures continue to stay cold. But as I said, one more nice day. The northern regions will see snowfall, that system shifting from north to south. So northern regions tomorrow, most southern regions will see similar conditions of what we've been seeing for the last couple of days. It will be Saturday that we will see a change. So expect a bit of fog tomorrow morning, but otherwise a glorious day. It was gorgeous today, unbelievable. But Saturday, yes, some wet snow is certainly possible, especially by Saturday night. Sunday, we are expecting snowfall about five centimeters. Again, these are preliminary numbers tune back in. We have more snowfall on the way as temperatures stay low, it looks like, right through until Wednesday. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Vancouver, looking out from Stanley Park. If you captured the sunrise this morning, it was stellar. So many photos were sent to us. I'm sorry if I wasn't able to use your photo, but the, the um, clouds were just lit up in pink. I even saw it from here in North Vancouver. So if you saw it, you were one of the lucky ones. All right, guys, back to you. Thank you, Christy. And if you didn't see it, we have the pictures. Yeah, beautiful. All right, one of the most effective ways to protect yourself from the cold is wearing a toque. But for a lot of people in need, it's a luxury they don't have. And that is a problem worth solving for a Cracker Jack craftsperson on Vancouver Island. Kylie Stanton shows us how she's proving no matter what your age, you can always find the time to give. It's very simple. It has to start somewhere with one loop, then another. It's... Therapy. 
Over time, it begins to take shape, and finally, the process is complete. I got one right here if you want to see it. But for Kathleen Rempel, it seems the work is never done. I do usually one before breakfast and one before lunch and one before dinner. The 90-year-old has been crocheting for more than three decades. She kept track of the numbers, at least for a while. I had crocheted 10,555 toques for the sailors. And although the tally has slipped these past few years, her productivity has not. Probably have several thousands. What she does know, every last one has been donated to charity. The bulk of them go to the sailors, then I do for the homeless and the food bank. They appreciate it very much. The donations are sent out by the hundreds. Brings down these big bags of crocheted toques, keeping people's heads warm and making uh, just a really big impact on a lot of local charities helping out people in need at this time of year. It's an act of kindness that inspires with a ripple effect that keeps coming back around. Every so often when I run short on yarn, I figure, well, I'll just f finish this up and then I'll quit. And it never fails, somebody brings me some yarn. There's just a few more loops to go. I can make one within two hours. I have had lots of practice. <laughs> and speaking of time, we have to wrap up here. Rempel wants to get back to work. Yeah, it's cutting, cutting out my crocheting time. <laughs> Kylie Stanton, Global News. She's got a great laugh. Well done. Crocheting can be addictive. Yeah, you just speak have, from experience. I I crocheted a blanket once. Oh, that's a like. You still have it? Five years ago. Do you still have the no, blanket? No, but it didn't fall apart. That's good. And it kept me warm. Where is it now? I don't know. I think I gave it away. <laughs> but it was very, you know, it was a long time ago. I'm sure it was. Anyway, it's that's fun. very impressive though. You you should try it. You like, you know. I like certain creative things, but I don't think I could do that. Great baker. You're a great baker, Squire. I'm okay. And a great sports guy, too. Oh, thank you very much. Speaking, um, of, which. speaking of which. So we have a lot of things to tell you. Uh, we're going to tell you whether or not Alex Ovechkin got goal number 801 to tie Mr. Hockey. That game just ended in Washington between the Capitals and the Stars. Talk about the Canucks win last night against the uh, Flames and the Seahawks are playing right now down in the Emerald City against San Francisco. We'll update that as well. All right, we'll check in a little bit later. Also tonight, Brush with Greatness. The former soccer player, now artist, painting her way to the World Cup. that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Squire Barnes joins us now with sports, crunching the Canucks numbers. Well, there's always numbers to crunch when it comes to the Canucks, and often the numbers aren't pleasant. But here are two strange stats that actually aren't bad from the last month of Canucks hockey. They have won six straight on the road now. They're actually above 500 on the road, below 500 at Rogers Arena. Also, the Vancouver Canucks have won five straight games in overtime 
or a shootout. So they don't mind a little extra work. And that was the case last night against Calgary. They won 4-3 in a shootout. Now, in that game, yes, yes, the Canucks did squander another two-goal lead, but they seem to have lived with those uh, defensive lapses of late. I would have liked to not give up a two-goal lead, but at the same time, we, we didn't panic. And, you know, in, in previous games or early in the year, we might have a little panic in our game. Drys has put a big goal, and I thought we did a good job after that, kind of limiting their, their great A's. And, um, you know, it was an overall great game tonight. Marty was fantastic. Yeah, Spencer Martin did play well, and they'll be home Saturday against the Winnipeg Jets. Okay. To even the most ardent of Wayne Gretzky supporters, it's hard to argue that Alexander Ovechkin could be the most talented goal scorer of all time in the NHL, even though it's almost impossible to compare players in different eras. The one thing, and I know we have said this before, that makes Ovechkin's goal total so impressive is how much better not only the goalies are, from back in Wayne Gretzky's glory days, or Gordie Howe's days for that matter, but the defensive strategy that teams employ is so much better these days. And as we said yesterday, Gretzky's last 50-goal season was when he was 27 years old. Ovechkin had a 50-goal season last year at the age of 36. He may have another one this year at the age of 37. He is at 800 goals. That is one behind Gordie Howe, 94 behind Wayne Gretzky, and he was playing at home tonight against the Dallas Stars. So the Stars did not want this to happen on their watch. And here's a chance for Ovechkin in front of Jake Ottinger in the Dallas net, but that's good defense. Ovechkin had five shots on goal in this game. This could have been a shot. Instead, he passes. And Connor Sheary scores a goal here to give Washington a 1-0 lead. Maybe if Washington had a one-goal lead late in the game, there'd be an empty netter possibility for Ovechkin. But early in the third, Dallas scored twice. This one by Colin Miller. And that's the way the game ends. Dallas holds off Ovechkin and Washington. 2-1 the final. Washington plays Toronto on Saturday. That game might be a bit more wide open for Ovechkin. Okay. Tonight, the Seattle Seahawks are facing Christian McCaffrey and San Francisco, which means the Hawks' run defense better get a lot better then it was Saturday Sunday make that against Carolina. Seattle's run defense was bad at the start of the season. Then it got pretty good, and lately it's regressed. In order to stay in the playoff race, Seattle's defense needs to plug the leaks. So let's go to Lumen Field tonight. 49ers in town. Brock Purdy, the quarterback. No, no, yes. Nice fake, double fake, and George Kittle's wide open for the 28-yard touchdown at 7-0. All right, Geno Smith, what do you have to retort that? He's got a bit of a scramble here for a first down. This is an 11-play drive that would end with a Jason Myers 38-yard field goal. So the Seahawks staying close until this happens. Travis Homer. Catches the ball. Everything's good so far. But then he puts the ball in the carpet. Chavarius Ward takes it to about the five-yard line. And the guy we mentioned before these highlights even started, Christian McCaffrey, will punish the Seahawks with a touchdown just before halftime. And that is the score at the break. 14-3 now for San Francisco. How about some uh, basketball from the... Samura tournament for the girls at Langley Event Center, College Heights Cougars against Vernon Panthers. That's uh, College Heights right there. And this is uh, 
Rachel Lukes will be going to SFU next year. Nice steal and the bucket, but Verna would win. Lauren Horde here, power move to the basket, 60 to 58. And if you want to see some good basketball all this week at the Langley Event Center with the Samura Tournament, named after Howard Samura, the great oh, yeah. sports writer, used to cover the Grizzlies and for years and years has been on top of high school sports in this mm -hmm. province. There you go. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Squire. Just ahead, the athlete artist from BC on top of her game at the World Cup in Qatar. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Jordan Armstrong is here uh, with a preview of what they're working on coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, another fire in an SRO building tonight. This one broke out near West Hastings in Camby around 5 o'clock. Vancouver firefighters responded, as you can see there, in big numbers and managed to contain the flames to one room. Most residents of the building can return tonight, but some are displaced. Okay, SRO fires remain a big safety concern in the city with a new one breaking out about every 31 hours, according to the fire department. Plus, BC's police watchdog is investigating a deadly officer-involved shooting in Creston, and we'll have the details at 11. Chris? All right, thanks very much, Jordan. A former soccer player from BC is living out a dream, invited to the World Cup in Qatar. She hoped she'd make it there as a player, but this MVP is now FIFA's most valuable painter. Jay Durant shows us how Carling Jackson is turning athleticism into art. Carling Jackson didn't waste any time submitting her work when FIFA started searching for a featured World Cup artist. But the call came late with only a week left in the World Cup. They were like, hey, can you come paint giant murals outside the stadiums for the semis in the final? And I'm like, can I? So she packed up her paints and brushes and booked a flight to Doha. People are like, whoa, I've never seen a sports artist paint like that. That's the first reaction I usually get. It's been a very busy week so far, working on eight different murals. The whole time stopping for interviews, chatting with fans, and posing for pictures. When you're around the beautiful game with people who love the game, it's a different energy, it's a different feeling, right? Jackson's promising career as a player was cut short by injuries. For the past seven years, pro athletes from around the world have been commissioning the former art instructor to recreate their iconic moments on canvas. I ask an athlete to pick one moment from their entire career that they can kind of step back into when they're older. Because when you're an athlete, you know, you, your career has an expiry date. We can't play forever. And so I call them portraits of immortality. Argentina fans watched as she captured their country's World Cup run. She's also painted Richarlison's incredible bicycle kick goal and is just about to start a mural showcasing Alfonso Davies scoring against Croatia. It's meaningful to me being Canadian and the fact that our guys made it this year and that I'm representing Canada as well. I think that's really important to me. I'm, to my knowledge, the only woman sports artist who's painting for athletes around the world. So I'm representing, you know, representation for young girls who want to be artists. She never made it all the way as a player, but hard work and amazing talent has given Carling Jackson a different opportunity on football's biggest stage.
And it was my dream since I was a little girl to play in a World Cup. And I never, for some reason, I never let that dream go. So I found another way to go. It means everything to me. Jay Durant, Global News. And her paintings are amazing. Mm -hmm. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Could be a heck of a final in that World Cup, eh, Squire? It will be, and it's going to be Messi's last World Cup game, too. Mm -hmm. Might so get messy. France, it could get messy if they don't win. <laughs> could get messy. <laughs> Uh, at the World Cup and on the roads. Let's get the latest uh, yeah. in the final word from Christy. So I really urge everyone to tune back in tomorrow. We'll have more details about our Saturday event. It's one of those days where it could be a mix of rain and snow or rain or starting as rain and transitioning to snow will reach a high of two degrees definitely expecting snowfall on sunday not a ton but enough that it could be tricky on the roads in the meantime enjoy your friday everyone we'll see sunny conditions similar to what we saw today which was just phenomenal yeah beautiful sunrise let's hope for another one of those who knows just brilliant colors thanks very much christy thanks for watching everyone have a good night good night all